you know, you've got, got a person sitting in front of you and they're taking eight, nine different medications and doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be working and you've done your assessment, your psychometrics and everything and you are pretty sure that this is trauma and these drugs are going to, if anything, they're going to make it worse, not better. How do you, how do you break the news? What I've actually found is mm-hmm. that by the time these people get to me, they already know. They mm-hmm. already know something's wrong. They already know that the drugs are not working. The doctors they've been seeing don't understand. And yes, I will go through the psychometric evaluations that I do and all that. but. Very often, I'm telling them something that they already know. When was the last time you assessed your experiences in life and reflected? I ask because many of us feel trapped, stuck, or just not feeling at peace fulfilled or somehow deep inside of us we know that something is causing whatever we're feeling yet we tend to ignore it the overwhelming emotions that we suppress or repress are now getting back to reality and this time could be uncontrollable one of those things could be the trauma that we had been ignoring many years ago and we thought we forgot and let go of it and yet it's still there unattended and not being healed this episode if you're thinking that you might have trauma or not even sure what it is or causing it or not having the ability to heal it i suggest you listen to or watch this episode and learn from our next guest about this his journey, trauma, and the new book that he recently published that you might also want to grab yours. So listen or watch and learn and enjoy. Welcome back to our show, Empower Your Life. I'm your host, Cindy Marie. Our next guest, he graduated as a physician in 1990s, set for a medical career, and his life took a turn until... After spectacular descent, he became a homeless, cranky or junkie, sorry, on heroin and crack. But now he's sober and clean for all these drugs for over 10 years. And he has retrained himself as a psychologist and specialist in treating trauma and stressor-related disorders. He also published or released his new book, a Beginner's Guide to Trauma, which you're going to know now what this conversation is all about, which is the T, trauma. So without further ado, may I welcome to you our next guest all the way in Bali, Indonesia, Dr. Rashi Joseph. Dr. Rashi, thank you. Thank you so much for being part of this show. Oh, terima kasih banyak, I would say. Sama-sama. Oh, you, you can speak uh, Bahasa Indonesia? Sedikit? Sedikit, sedikit. Uh, I was yeah. about to say in Spanish. My God, mixing. Okay, yes, yes. My family okay. lives, in, yeah. lives in Indonesia. 
Okay, okay. Well, maybe we should do the podcast in Indonesia. Never oh, know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> maybe in the future I'll have to refresh yeah. my language, my Bahasa Indonesia. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, uh, well, Dr. Rashid, you. yes. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Cindy, for what was a very uh, terse and I would say very generous introduction. Um, I did start. I had a I had a very uh, privileged task in life. You know, mm-hmm. people often think of junkies as coming from bad neighborhoods. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, where there's crime and fire going on all day, and you know, crack dealers in the corner, and you know, mothers mothers who have mothers who are crack addicts and al- alcoholic fathers who are in- that's that's the stereotype you don't mm-hmm. think of a junkie as coming from an upper middle class family where yeah. you know, dad's a world-class surgeon and mom's a fantastically successful uh investor um it, it doesn't it doesn't square and i went through school and mm-hmm. here's the interesting thing because when I look back now, mm-hmm. now I can see that many of the signs that things were going really badly wrong with me were starting to show. Mm-hmm. At the time, nobody noticed it and I didn't say anything about it because mm-hmm. if you're the kind of kid who gets really good grades then nobody asked you know you're by definition the right kid you know what i mean i mean in in particularly in in asian culture in asian cultures Mm -hmm. where they value the the grade you know if you come home with with 10 a's you don't have problems you know Mm -hmm. by definition right um yeah so got into you know it's very difficult to get into medical school you have to do very well in school and you have to you know do various things but going to medical school medical school is i would say when i look at all my friends and colleagues who studied alongside me architecture law but i would still say med- medicine one of the hardest subjects to study especially in the time they give you um which is six years there i was ready and um, i was going to be a neurosurgeon because i'm very interested in neuroscience i've always been interested in the brain fascinated by the brain uh how it works why it does this and not matter since i was a boy so it was either going to be a neurologist or a neuroscientist or a neurosurgeon mm-hmm. and you know dad's a surgeon so when i spoke to him and i said dad i'm thinking of going into uh, you know do, doing a phd in neuroscience he goes ah yeah neurosurgery <laughs> so that was the plan anyway um mm-hmm. but in the book i I may try and not use a complicated word. The word I was going to use was Adam Drake, but um, uh, I 
met and I, I elaborated on a relationship that I had with a young boy that was mm. uh, a very critical one in my life because mm. it was the first secure attachment that I had formed oh, to another yeah, human being. That. Yeah. Yeah. Now so, the thing about attachment. Sorry, go uh -huh, ahead. Sorry, go on, go on, go on, go on. The thing about attachment is that people, number one, it's not love, right? People mistake yep. love and attachment for the same thing. They're not. Mm -hmm. Love is, you know, emotional, oxygen, there's lots and lots going on there, you know, you can fall in love, you can fall out. Attachment is purely a survival strategy. Mm -hmm. Until birds came onto the planet, we don't see attachment. Like, lay their eggs, they swim away. Frogs lay their legs, lay their eggs, they swim away. There are no attachments between the daddy frog and the baby frog. There's no yes. attachment. But with birds, when the chicks hatch and they cry, the mother feeds them. And then they go and they don't leave the nest. They stay with the nest until the birds flourish and are strong mm -hmm. enough to fly away. That is the very first time we see attachment in nature. And mm -hmm. as we go through the evolutionary chain, we see attachment behaviors become more and more and more sophisticated. Until mm -hmm. the point we get to humans, where we have the most sophisticated and where attachment is the most important survival mechanism for us because yeah. we are totally helpless at birth mm -hmm. simple reason a newborn antelope can run on the first day of its life you know it can run a newborn human baby can't even lift its own head on the first mm -hmm. day of its birth it is completely helpless. So nature has given us, had to give us a mechanism mm -hmm. that would, um, that was powerful enough that would ensure that like the mummy bird and the baby bird, you know, that, that mummy bird was going to feed us and look after us. Right. Yeah. Of course, we're not birds. <laughs> we're much, much more complicated. <laughs> we're humans. Yeah. So and... let me, uh, Dr. Reshi, if, if, if I might cut you, um, before we proceed with this attachment or the, the, the human behaviors, I, I'm pretty mm. sure that there are a lot of people would very, very keen to understand your story. Like, because you, you mentioned a little bit about your mm. transition from having a middle-class life to becoming homeless yeah. and then transition to where you are right now. Would you help us to sort of bring back that story? How did you even end up being homeless and then, you know, really get up and showing up right now as uh, who you are being? So we, we hey, have that yeah. fantastic transition, if you don't mind. Yeah. 
thing is, I've told this story so many times, and you can find it on YouTube as well. But I'm I'm happy to do it again if you'd like me to. You know. Yes, please. Uh, every every yes. way of expressing your story, I believe, is always unique. <laughs> okay. Well, I grew up in a home that was filled with uh, books and music and uh, art, the arts, the sciences. You know, I, I had the opportunity to explore any aspect of anything that I wanted to explore. Um, mm -hmm. What I didn't notice at the time was that I had a real difficulty forming secure attachments to other people. Mm -hmm. Now, what do I mean by secure attachments? Right. B.F. Skinner, a very famous behavioral psychology for experiments where he put four different mice in four different boxes. And there's a lever. When you press the lever, food comes out. Secure attachment is when you press the lever, food always comes out. You press mm -hmm. it, it always comes out. You press it, it always comes out. If you look at that in the context of a relationship, right? If I, if let's say I press the Cindy Marie lever, yeah. the Cindy Marie food will always come out, whatever that mm -hmm. food happens to be. If I turn to you, um, in other words, you know, our attachment is secure. I know you're not going to run away from me. I know you're not going to abandon me. I know you're not going to turn around and attack me or any number of things. If I turn mm -hmm. to you for nurturing, which is what food really is, I turn to you for nurturing in my distress, I know I will get it and I'm secure in that. Mm -hmm. But there were other situations where that was not the case. The second mouse had a lever that was deliberately uh, made so that if you pressed it, it might give you food, but it might not. So sometimes mm -hmm. you press it, you know, three times, it gives you food three times. Sometimes you press it 11 times, but it doesn't do anything. So that mouse just kept pressing and pressing and pressing and pressing and pressing the lever, right? Mm -hmm. Because it was obsessed with the lever and it started to build up a huge mountain of food, but it would not stop pressing the lever because that was an insecure, insecure attachment. And mm -hmm. it's what we call insecure the, in, the type of insecure attachment is um, ambivalent anxious, right? It, it, you can see the anxiety, you know, the lever is not going to give me food. You know. I'm in real distress. If I talk to Cindy Marie today, is she, is she going to nurture me or is she going to punch me? Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. so, or you know, every time I'm in distress, every time I'm hurting, every time I need your help, are you going to help me? I need to make sure. So I'll keep pressing it, keep pressing it you know, every day, every day, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and you didn't send me a WhatsApp today. Oh my God, the lever's not working, mm -hmm. you know, or... Um, 
why do you go away with your girlfriends? You know, what about me? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, ambivalent, anxious. And then the opposite, you have the ambivalent avoidant. The third mouse, the lever doesn't work at all. It doesn't work at all. Okay, this is me. It does not work at all. You can press it as many times as you like. Nothing comes out of all. And what was interesting in the research was that the third mouse actually crawled out of his box, went yeah. into the second mouse's box, and started to eat the food in there. <laughs> yeah, you know, this was this is just something I happened to know from reading the side notes in uh, B.F. Skinner's hand. Uh, it's not actually in the official paper, but I, you know, it's like it's bloody rat, rats, you know, they do all kinds of funny things. And the fourth one, which is um, a very, very special category, is called disorganized attachment. Uh, that mouse lever that produced food, but every time it pressed the lever and food came out, there was an electrical grid under the floor. So every time it got food, it got an electric shock at the same time. So the brain began to associate nurturing with pain. Mm -hmm. And you can imagine how extremely confusing that would be for a, for a, a mouse you know, or a rat. Imagine what that would be like for us. Okay, so that, that's a whole category by itself, and uh, it would take me a good two hours to explain it uh, properly. For our purposes, we're interested in the first three. Most people, there's a small section of the people who are number four. Most of us are in one, two, or three. Which one are you in? I think I'm um, number three. You think you're number three? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm number three. Wait, let me let me recall. The number three was the one that uh, just disregarded the lever. Yeah. Yeah, and then yeah. you you figure things out on your own. Yeah. I, I think I'm number the two then. Yeah, I th I think okay. I'm number two. To be to be fair okay. in my life, yes. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. So in your relationships, is never. Is he going to be faithful to me? Is he going to cheat on me? Is he, you know, is he going to leave me? You know, am I pretty enough for him? Is there is there's a constant uh, stream of anxiety, uh, you know, and it's natural for all individuals you know, to have anxieties of this kind, even people with secure attachments do, but they become dysfunctional, you know, yeah. like he's going out with uh, his friends you know, for a drink and he comes back and you smell his shirt and this woman's perfume on it and it's like, what's that? And suddenly mm -hmm. there's this huge round and then you find out the next day that somebody's wife was there and gave him a hug, you know, that's anxious right yeah i was avoidant i avoided people mm. i is there are reasons why i became avoidant don't want to go into that for personal reasons 
um, and in being avoidant, my nurturing came in the form of fantasy, came in the form of books. You know, when I was being at school, I found a place to hide in this beautiful mm -hmm. library where I was surrounded by books and mm -hmm. I read practically all of the books in that library. And I would, wow. one day I would be, you know, in um, Gormandas, you know, Mervyn Peake's Crumbling Castle. Another day I'd be C.S. Lewis's you know, the yeah. witch to lion of the witch in the wardrobe and another day I would be um reading the beautiful poems of um Wilfred Owen of the first world I still think his poem Dolce Decorum Est is the strongest anti-war statement ever made mm. ever made if you read that that you cannot make a stronger statement than that. It's so beautifully written um, and the specially sensitive register of mm -hmm. uh, um, the First World War. And that's where I grew my love of Shakespeare and of Milton and uh, yeah, yeah, Shelley and all that kind of stuff. So I, I escaped into these fantasy worlds, mm -hmm. right? And what that meant was, hey, don't need attachments. Mm -hmm. No, I don't need them because I've got these, these things I can go into. So what's the problem? What's the problem with that? Mm -hmm. well, the problem with that is that that world isn't real. That's the problem. <laughs> Right, that that world doesn't actually give you food. It doesn't actually nurture you. You can't come home and feel really distressed mm. and ask that world to nurture you. It it can't. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. It can help you to escape for a while. Yes. But ultimately it doesn't nurture you in that way. And if you look at my addiction, it is exactly the same mechanism. It's mm -hmm. a way of, I don't want to say avoidance, but, but if, you're, if you're in a great deal of emotional pain and somebody gives you a mechanism to escape that pain, take it, you would. So you're in a great deal of emotional pain and somebody says, here, Here's a mechanism you can take. Yeah. You can grab it, you, you know. But then one day you come up against the pain that you cannot escape. Yeah. That's why it fails. And that was the boy on the walls. I could not escape that pain. There was nothing I could do that allowed me to. There was no fantasy there was no nothing no you know half a bottle of whiskey whatever nothing would and that was my first real attachment mm -hmm. and because i couldn't handle that things slowly started to disintegrate and disintegrate mm -hmm. because the pain grew bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger 
became obsessed with it, got bigger. So I needed to use more and more powerful ways to just be stable. You know, first it was becoming an alcoholic and you know, waking up in the morning and drinking before going to work, which as a doctor you really don't want to do you know, because your breath smells, right? Yeah. Eat mints and stuff like that. But as the story says, you know, it was a long, slow descent down. Uh, but it was the last 18 months where I really went off and lived. For most of my time as an addict, I had jobs, I was working, I mm -hmm. somehow got by. The last 18 months, I just went off a cliff and my life just completely disintegrated. Um, mm. You know, huge amounts of violence. Um, yeah, you know, the also, not like it is now. But I tell you what, the re the reverse right mm -hmm. so works the lack of nurturing yeah. yeah right is the key to understanding uh uh disrupted attachment the inability to form attachment but nurturing is the key to forming secure attachments and that's why i'll tell you a story that I don't normally, I only tell to my very, very close friends. When I was uh, living in Soho, and this was, uh, I was right at the bottom, and very thin, very weak, and, you know, target for bullies, you know, that kind of trap that yeah, yeah. You know, people you know, if you're just mad at something, you just kick him, you know, you just beat him up yeah. or whatever. And one night I'd taken a particularly bad beating off a gang of thugs. And I remember I was sitting, leaning against this door. Mm -hmm. And I heard the key open. And I, and I thought it's going to be somebody booting me off the doorstep. So I tried to lift myself up. But my ribs were cracked, so I was like, oh, but I was trying my best. Mm -hmm. But instead, what I felt was a hand on my shoulder and a mug of tea. So the English drink mm -hmm. tea, right? Just come round, right? And put my hands, I was, what, a, what is this? Mm -hmm. I turned around and I realized it was, uh, it was a prostitute, but a slightly older one. You know, she probably had like a regular customer, so she didn't walk the streets. I'd never seen her before. And for the next three hours, she bathed me, cleaned my wounds, took care of me, washed my clothes, just mm. nurtured me. Never said a word to me, never, not one word, not even a hello. Just not a single word passed between her and, and I, right? Mm -hmm. And then three hours later, she opened the door and ushered me out. I've never seen her again. I don't know her name. I wish I did. Um, I don't know where she is. 
because that was the first uh, uh, secure, that was the first true nurturing, I think I felt, and how powerful it was when someone yeah. nurtures you in that way. Yeah. And uh, three weeks later, I stopped using drugs and alcohol. Three weeks later, I, I stopped, you know? Wow. And I didn't go into the, completely into the brain mechanisms, but I did mention the brain opioid theory of social attachment. It's in a book, by the way, at fine amazon.com bookstores everywhere. Yes. <laughs> Um, the reason it works is because they use the same mechanism in the brain. Mm -hmm. It's hard for people to understand that unless they read it and they read, you know, how it's explained and how it was found. And um, the person who found it was an Estonian neuroscientist called Yak Hangsap, who sadly passed away a few years ago. I've read every single word. I don't know about you, but for me, if I find someone that I like their work, I'm obs I obsessively read everything that they wrote. Yeah, the same. Like George, yeah, like George Orwell. You know, I've got everything. I've even read the the you know the uh, reports that he sent to the BBC. You know, for his. Uh, <laughs> You know, absolutely everything. So I read every single thing this man had to write. And in the very last paper that he wrote with, co-wrote with um, his colleague, one of the final statements he made, one of the very, very last statements he made in print mm -hmm. is this. In newborn rhesus macaques, rhesus macaques, you know, it's a type of monkey, yeah? So let's just say yeah. monkey. In newborn monkeys, morphine simulates mother. I'll repeat mm -hmm. that. In newborn monkeys, morphine simulates the presence of the mother. If you have morphine, you don't cry for your mother because, there's the, because the morphine is giving you an artificial way, the nurturing that you would get in the ordinary way, in, in the, the manner nature intended, you're getting it from that. And that is why if you, and you ask any addict or any alcoholic or, you know, next time you get a chance, try this. <laughs> if you meet a heroin addict, just say, can you remember the first time you took it? Every single one of us will. And here's what he'll say. He'll say something mm. like this. When you ask him, what was it like? Was it, was it like, did you go to the moon? Was it like stars and, you know, <laughs> crazy? And it, it, that's not what he'll say. What he'll say is this. He will say, it was like someone putting a warm, blanket around my shoulders you know, mm. and putting their arms around me and putting a hot mug of coffee in my hands and just mm. this feeling of safety 
you know, I mean, what are they describing? They're describing nurturing. Mm -hmm. So um, that was the, it was understanding that that was the missing link. I mean, this book, Affect Regulation, Yak uh, Pangsep, uh, I recently discovered to my uh, slight annoyance that um, in a list of books, apparently, you know, Jordan Peterson, the famous psychologist, you know, yes. not, not particularly fond of him, but yeah, that's a, a, a personal sort of presentation style kind of thing. I mean, he's, he's correct a lot of stuff, but it turns out that out of his 15 favorite books, 11 are mine as well. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know how that happened, but um, one of the books that he lists as the, a book that every, everyone should read is this book, Affect Regulation by Yak Angsa. So, All right, I'm going to add that on the blog to make sure that everyone else on top of your book, they will have additional valuable uh, book to, to read after yours. Now, um, great understanding and bringing us back with that nourishing experience that you had with this yeah. lady that you yeah. never met, actually, blessed in disguise. Yeah. Um, now, you... For all those people who have yet to, to get their own copy of this book. So most of the stories actually already in the book. Now, I want for everyone, including myself, to remember. <laughs> um, because here's the, my next question to you, Dr. Reshi. Other people will, will focusing on you know, sharing their experience, knowledge, expertise, on, on the people themselves, you know, and not publishing anything, a tool, program, whatever. But for you, you decided to publish this book. On top of that, you also, of course, seek consent from your uh, patients and also including your, your story in it. So my question is, why did you choose to publish this book of course, after your transition, what what do you think that you felt that on top of many other books out there, there's something within yeah. me that I can share yeah. in this book that makes it amazing yeah. for most yeah. people to make it have it valuable. So yeah. what's the story and why do you think it's it's important that you publish this book? Yeah. Yeah, that's a be beautiful question. Um you know, in this sphere of uh, trauma and stress-related disorders, you know, traumatology, you know, I have all my great heroes like Pangsep and Bessel van der Kolk and Gabo Mate and, you know, various people. Yeah. But what I discovered from reading their work and increasingly from listening to them is they're speaking in ways that are either too ephemeral, ephemeral meaning too like spiritual. Um, and then speaking, they're not uh, explaining things in a way that, I'll give you an example, right? Um, 
Mate says this, uh, Van der Kolk says this as well, I've had them both say it, okay, where they go, trauma is a disconnection from the self. Yeah? Mm. Now, mm-hmm. I, I understand what that means. Yeah. You understand what that means. But if you went out on the street and looked around and you saw some guy munching on a Big Mac and you walk up to him and you say, I'm going to explain to you about trauma. Trauma is a disconnection from the self. What do you think he would say? Do you think he'd move closer to you or move further away from you? I mean, you know, yeah. it, it complicates things where it doesn't need to complicate things, right? Mm. The word trauma comes from the ancient Greek word traumatikos. It simply means injury. It's just a wound. Wound. That's what it is. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. it's a wound. Um, And so I found that uh, that was one, you know. Mm -hmm. I was getting so maybe mildly irritated with that. But the second one was the big one. That was more and more of my patients were coming into my clinic Mm -hmm. with horrendous problems that had been created by experts on Instagram, social media. So, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So they'll go onto Instagram and look for someone who you know puts themselves out you know trauma coaching trauma recovery um, everything trauma whatever right and then they'll either send them a message or communicate with them in some way you know and then they'll get some advice and then they'll go and do it and it takes an already difficult problem and now it makes it even worse and mm-hmm. so keep doing it. In other words, what I was beginning to find was that the lack of information, right, there was a hole where there wasn't mm-hmm. any, you know, someone had not sat down and said, look, here are the facts, okay? And because that hole was there, anybody could call themselves an expert on trauma, trauma coach, trauma this, I've got, I know people here who call themselves trauma coach, they know, you know, absolutely nothing about trauma. I know people here call, them a neuro, call themselves a neuroscientist. The only neuroscience they know is the neuroscience they've heard me give a lectures. I mean, it's, it's, ridic- it's ridiculous, right? And yeah. that was something that bothered me mm-hmm. because that's, that's, uh, you know, if my if my life is devoted to the alleviation of suffering, this is causing suffering to people. Yeah. And, and in some cases, it took a long time to undo the damage before I could start the healing process. And I was getting very, very uh, worried about this, mm-hmm. you know, because I saw it not getting better, but getting worse. And I thought, yeah. well, if I'm going to act, you know, I can, I can sit with my colleagues and we can all sit there and, you know, bitch and moan and go, you know what, 
some guy on Instagram said, oh, trauma. I can be one of those guys or I can get off my fat ass and I can actually go and do something about it, right? Yeah. And the perfect opportunity presented itself last year. You know, I was very, very unwell for three or four months where I was in hospital and then in and out of hospital. Believe me, when you're lying on a hospital gurney or a hospital bed, staring at the ceiling, enduring a mind-crushing, soul-eviscerating I know big words, I'm sorry, but this, this <laughs> the boredom is, is so bad, you feel like it's, it's crushing your skull, <laughs> like I need to do something, you know, and I remember you, you probably never have heard of this guy, but he's a very famous Canadian singer-songwriter, his name is Leonard Cohen, uh, and he used to Right, some very beautiful songs. Suzanne was one. Uh, Chelsea Hotel was another. Uh, yes, great songs. He was also a poet, but he was not a very good poet. But he did write one anthology of good poems. And the title of the book is The Energy of Slaves. And there's mm. one poem in that book. I remember I was lying on the bed and I was so ill. Mm -hmm. My weight, I think, was either 55.3 or 53.3 kilos. Um, wow. And I remember thinking, calculating, and this is the problem when you're a doctor, you know, you know what calculations need to be made, right, to see whether <laughs> you whether get out of this or not. And I thought, it's now getting to the point where bone marrow is not going to be able to produce enough T lymphocytes, B lymphocytes, macrophages, and all the stuff I need to fight off. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, my new, in other words, I've, I've crossed that point where my body cannot produce what it needs to fight. And that means whatever that thing is won. Yeah? Yeah. So I was just lying there and I thought, well, you know, you know, be sad to go, but at least I will go on the island that I love the most, the people that are dearest to me. Mm -hmm. And this poem from this book came to me, and it goes like this. And when I was sick, I did not turn to drugs or teaching. I tried to sleep. But when mm -hmm. I could not sleep, I learned to write. I learned to write like bed on nights like these by one like me. And for some reason that just came into my head and I just got up, got a piece of paper and just started to write. Mm -hmm. And here we are. Beautiful. I, I, I always believe, you know, just to give you, I, I'm not sure whether I have shared this with you. I remember someone once told me when I created this uh, Empower Your Life show, it, it started as a YouTube channel and turned to, to podcast platform. Um, yeah. Someone once told me that, you know, uh, isn't it like a TED, TEDx, 
where you actually interview a person and then so on and so forth. So, you know, for people who, who don't know your own mission and purpose, you will be very defensive, right? But how I responded to that is, that's right. But I always say this, but this is me. This is Cindy Marie. So this is going to be different because I have my own way of asking. I have my own way of operating or processing. So yes, it might look like a TEDx for you, but this is going to be different. <laughs> and I, I think why I'm saying that it's the same thing with, with your book that you have published. Many people would say, okay, what's the difference with other people that like what you've said, very well-known people. Why do you think? Yeah. And I always believe that it doesn't matter whether you have that competition, which a lot of people um, belittle themselves just because of that. Yeah. But we all unique. We are. We have our own story that nobody can take that away from us because, because it's only yeah. us who, who experience that. So this is why when I mentioned to you how much uh, incredible and valuable your your book and and now you're sharing with me that uh, there's always a blessed in disguise if we see that that whenever we are so down yet there's always something that we can't explain especially for example you and I we transition we transition to somewhere now that we are serving it back Absolutely. because yeah. we feel that exactly. you mentioned this that this is who I'm, I am. And this is exactly the same thing with me. Now, I had this conversation wow. with you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That I told you this because of lack of information. Mm-hmm. I came from Philippines and you know that. And, and it's all about grades. But really, like understanding the information, not really embedded in my body and brain and all of that. So my understanding of trauma never exists. Or never really come to think about that not until I had a deeper conversation with you and and I want to share to people again who have yet to get their copy it's very powerful and helpful because at the back or at the end of the book there I don't know I can't remember how many questionnaire and that's really important for you to remember because that's an indication correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Dr. Reshi, that your that question is actually that will lead you whether how much trauma that you have experienced that you never knew, that from there, you will be able to understand how deep the, yeah, the trauma the, is. And the, quest, the questionnaire that you're talking about is called the ACE questionnaire, A-C-E, uh, yes. which stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. And it was done by Two physicians, Vince Felletti and Bob Felletti started, but it became so. I can tell you the whole story if you want, <laughs> uh, but I won't. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it mushroomed and became this huge, huge study um, in 1998. Um, and so he had to recruit Bobanda from the CDC. And the two of them spearheaded the project. And when they published this research, it just blew the medical world apart. It, it just probably one of the most important 
medical papers published in the last 50 years, I would say. Right? Ever, I, I would say that Bobby and Ainsworth's paper on um, uh, attachment probably was the last one. And this one, adverse childhood experience, um, do the questionnaire. Just do it. Questions. Just do it. Yeah. And I think in the book I explain what the questionnaire is all about and what it is yes. for. But, but the thing about about the questionnaire and it though it's it's measuring the trauma you've experienced, it's predicting not just that you have psychological problems, it's pre predicting and it predicts with alarming accuracy chances of you getting cancer, heart mm -hmm. disease, metabolic syndrome, diabetes, asthma, you know, um, very alarming stuff, right? And in 2012, because nobody was really taking this stuff seriously. Mm -hmm. um, one of the most important men then in the medical establishment, you know, the, the core, you know, the big names, uh, Professor Jack Shonkov, who sat in the Julius B. Richmond chair uh, uh, as professor of pediatrics at Harvard University, stepped in and wrote a very, very famous paper about this very subject. And I mean, you cannot get higher in the world of pediatrics than that's, you know, as high as it goes. But even then, um, we still struggle to uh, get the word out to people that you need to think about what happened to you in childhood. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, in a story that I told about a young lady that was being sexually harassed by her boss, she went to see the doctor and the doctor says right so Sydney Marie what can I do for you <laughs> oh I can't sleep oh you can't sleep no problem here's the pill oh. <laughs> yeah. two weeks later you come back Sydney Marie you're back again what's you're the problem <laughs> um I'm having a lot of fights with my husband I don't know why I'm just fighting with him all the time. Mm. Okay, mood stabilizer. Five weeks later, you come back again. Sydney Marie, what can I do for you? What, what is wrong? And you go, doctor, I'm so depressed. I'm so depressed. Ah, I know what it is. This is depression. That's depression. And it goes on and on yeah. and on like that. Now, imagine if the first question that the doctor asked was not, Sinimri, tell me what's wrong. Instead, if he said, Sinimri, what's been happening to you? Yeah. Your answer would have been a very different one. Your answer would yes. have been, well, here's what's been happening to me. My boy has been sexually harassing me for two years. 
-hmm. and can you help can you help me yeah. get him to stop mm -hmm. to which any doctor worth his salt would have gone give me his number <laughs> you know um, and she went to one doctor after another after another after another very famous doctors spent huge sums of money and then met me <laughs> and I didn't ask her what was wrong I just asked her what, what happened what happened? yeah yeah and it just all came spilling out yeah so I... it's not it's not like you have to read yap because this is not an easy book to read you know maybe you shouldn't put it on your on your list of recommended readings it's, it's a pure neuroscience book and it's yes yeah no it's I think for me um why I find it very helpful and valuable now for a lot of people that have struggled far far away because of not giving the attention of what really happened to you back then yeah. because I've known so many people and and you know one of I, I can remember one thing uh, I have uh, spoken to a client of mine it's, it's very, very interesting yeah. so our first conversation was all about the business that uh, she's about to to pursue because she's still doing some part uh, part-time and her business, not part-time, but the, 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 the job is the full-time and the business is the part-time. And then so I said, okay, so let's talk about what you have done. And then so I asked, okay, it seems that to me, you're doing pretty good progress with your business. So what is it that you feel like not happening? And then so I couldn't remember exactly, but that's what I remember the first question that I have asked. And then it yeah. went down. And I, I always remember this because I, I'm also a true believer that what's happening with us right now has connected somehow somewhere within your childhood, mm. which I have shared that with you. I grown yeah. up being a pleaser, yeah. right? And so yeah. going back yeah. to the story of this lady, mm. we, we, we ended up, she's having these tears and she was shocked. And, uh, and she was telling me, oh, I realized that I haven't really attended my childhood experience for forgiveness. And so I said, wow. well, let's, let's pause for this, set back and yeah. give that space of yours to really process that and see what you will need from there. Because obviously I'm not the person to assist her further but at least i have helped her to understand what really happened not it's not well, all least, about the business at least and now she, you she know went for uh, and now you know yeah. at least now you know exactly what to say to her you can say to her i have this book it's very good it's available <laughs> at fine amazon.com bookstores everywhere it's called a big <laughs> sorry i know it's yeah. a bit, bit hucksterish of me <laughs> To try and no, sell my book, I'm but. just saying that um, this book Go, yeah. for Go everyone ahead. that, you know, you can put yourself, maybe you will feel the resonance 
maybe not. But understanding yeah. that yeah. most of us feel the need of figure things out just like that, where we yeah. actually never yeah. attended from the early age. So don't expect that. I've known many people like this, that I just want to get things out of this situation, but you can't expect the medicine to figure that out if you will not attend in that inner yeah. situation. And yeah. we talked about this, about the medicine, right? That mm. we think, like what you just explained earlier, as an example, we all looking for instant, instant. Now, my curious question, as for you, uh, specialist for this treating in trauma and other um, stressor-related disorders, what is your piece of suggestion for people out there that when you know that the medicine is no longer the answer for you and you know deep inside of you that this has something to attend within your inner story, yeah. how do you think or what will you suggest or a question to that person to welcome themselves to look for people like you to really open up and really embrace themselves that it requires time it's not an overnight yeah. journey uh, that's that's the 20 million dollar question that really is um <laughs> uh you know you've got got a person sitting in front of you and they're taking eight nine different medications and doesn't mm -hmm. seem to be working and you've done your assessment your psychometrics and everything and you are pretty sure that this is trauma and these drugs are gonna if anything they make it worse not better how do you how do you break the news what i've actually found is mm -hmm. that by the time these people get to me they already know they mm. already know something's wrong they already know that the drugs are not working the doctors they've been seeing don't understand you know they already know and yes i will go through the psychometric evaluations that i do and all that but very often i'm telling them something that they already know they already know that something is not right here and it's not mm -hmm. like a small thing you know you missed a small thing or a small thing that it's something really big and the chapter that i wanted to write in fact the most important chapter in many ways that i didn't get to write Mm -hmm. which I did a video about on, on LinkedIn, um, is the chapter on bipolar and uh, uh, ah, yes. trauma. Because yes. it is the most, it's the most misdiagnosed condition, right? And the reason for that is bipolar is, in the classification system, bipolar is a disorder of mood. Mm -hmm. Trauma is a disorder of extreme it's it's a sort of stress right now in the case of bipolar 
when they go manic, they go up. You know, they become euphoric. It, you know, they don't sleep for days. They can be aggressive. They can be, you know, this mania or hypomania, which is a sort of lesser version of that. But they're up, mm -hmm. and then they crash. And when they crash, they crash really hard. You know. Yeah. Many commit suicide. That that how they go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one. So I guess. One, sorry, I guess. Um, I, I truly believe that when we tried so many things, in the end, we knew something inside of us. Yeah. The answer. So I guess my. To modify that question, how can we even, you know, avoid to get to the worst scenario or situation of any human beings? Yeah. That, you know, how can we, how how can I ref, uh, raise that question? Like, how to catch or recognize yourself that in this moment of time, when you're having a situation... Yeah. You know that there perhaps something within your childhood or your trauma or your wound in this mm -hmm. case that yeah. you actually have to attend. Yeah. Since you mentioned that when they already tried everything and yet still not working for something, I guess this is now all about my yeah. past journey. So how can we cut that then? <laughs> yeah. Well, to finish the thing bipolar, you have these up downs and you have the same in trauma and that's why they get, you know, misdiagnosed and when they do, oh God, try to unwind that. Mm -hmm. Ooh, it's taken many, many, many of my hours, but books like, not just the one that I've written, you know, they're, they're, there's some very, very good books out there. The most famous one being The Body Keeps the Score by Basavanda Kohl. And The Body mm -hmm. Says No by Gabo uh, Mate. The Body Remembers by Robert Rothschild. Um, the Body Bears the Burden by uh, Just so many of them. And you go into a doctor and um, you know, he says, right, I'm going to put you on this pill. You know, that's where if you've read A Beginner's Guide to Trauma and he's going to push you on this pill, you can say to him, what's the pill for? And he says, oh, um, it's going to help with your, you know, your sleep, but it's also going to help with your anxiety and your, you know, calm me down a little bit. He said, yes, but you haven't addressed my avoidance behaviors. You haven't addressed my nightmares and my flashback. Talk to me about my deeply, deeply, uh, you know. Conditions, situation. You know, yeah, you, have, you haven't talked about this. And what about this? Mm -hmm. And you can look at the guy and you can say, you are giving me something, but you haven't talked. We haven't even talked about everything yet. Mm -hmm. He only talks about one thing. You know, I remember a very famous story told to me by someone I worked with, a young, uh, well, 
yeah, American somatic therapist, and she was, um, I think, a, an Olympic athlete, uh, you know, mm-hmm. elite athlete. But then she got sick, you know, had all kinds of weird symptoms, and they one drug, another drug, you know, all this kind of stuff. None of it worked. And the final solution was they were just going to have surgery and they were going to cut her gut out just mm. completely cut it out the, the table and they were about to wheel her in and then she goes stop i want to do this she got off the trolley walked out of the hospital and then began to you know find out about herself and find out what are the things that helped her started looking at diet, started looking at a lifestyle. She worked in the corporate world, gave up the corporate world and discovered yoga, which for her was, I think, the linchpin. You know, she's one of the two finest uh, yoga uh, teachers that I know of. The other is my stepdaughter, Chelsea, who lives in Sydney. Um, and she says that the moment that that clicked for her was when he when she went to she finally found a doctor who was not just throwing pills at her but asking mm-hmm. her what's what's happening this week what's happening with Katie this week you know is Katie having a good week a bad week and what's you know and what he said to her was you need to be you know an expert right you need to be an expert doctor in Katie. You, not me, not him, not all these people with, you know, uh, titles, professor or whatever, you know, you need to be the doctor, the expert in your own uh, mind. And I don't know if that answers your question, but... I did. I, I think, think so. I mean, yeah. Sorry, go on. I think I think more and more people are beginning to realize that that they can't, they cannot trust. Um, increasingly, they cannot that they cannot trust the the medical industry. You know, for men like my father who worked in it at a different time to see the industry go the way. I mean, it must be heartbreaking. You know when he looks at the state of it this, these days, I mean, I don't know how he feels, very old man. But um, I think more and more people, they, they, they feel there's, there's something wrong. They can't quite articulate it. They can't quite, you know, verbalize it and articulate it and, and say it, you know, in a, in a coherent way. I hope these are not mm. too big. I can't no. say, yeah, um, but they know not right, you know. It's like you can't sleep. That you went to the doctor and you said you can't sleep, and you're taking how many pills? Eight. <laughs> wow. You know. You know, people are beginning to catch on that that um, things are things are just 
not really right, you know. And then they come to people like myself, mm-hmm. and I begin to unpack all the furniture. And so, so one of the things that I like to do is I like to say, okay, I'm gonna put a star on the board, and the star is gonna have six symptoms on it, and I want you to tell me whether you have each one, and it's in the book, you know. Mm -hmm. And they look at it, and their jaws just drop, because every single one of them, I mean, they say, Doc, you've just written my life story on the board. How did you know that? How did you know that? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And what I've tried to do is I've tried to take that knowledge as best I can, because obviously every individual is different. There's no substitute for seeing someone on a one-on-one level because that person is focusing on just you and the way you're presented, right? Every human being is unique, but presented in a broad enough way that if you have these remains of symptoms, you know, if you find that you're that's your avoidance, that you, you know, tend to be a loner, you know, you tend to sort of be distant in your relationships, you don't like to get too close to people, you're you're avoidant. If you find that, you know, for for seemingly no reason, a word can just send you into a rage or Mm. into a panic or suddenly you get anxious and you don't know why and then other times you just become really depressed nothing mm-hmm. happened but you're just depressed and when something happens is you know it just goes round and round your head why did i do that i could have done this maybe if i did that then this would not happen and it just that's what you call intrusive because it it is intrusive you know it just if I had done this first, and then that would have happened. But then you see, if I done that, then it's example that it just goes round and round and round and round, right? If you got that, if you've got core beliefs that are, that you really look into yourself, you know, and you think, who's gonna, who's ever gonna love me? You know, mm-hmm. I. And then it moves to the second position in Vaxcovers of Tribe, which is and other people are going to look at me and go, we're not going to like him, we're not going to love him. Right? Then leads to a belief of the future, which is I'm not going to have any friends, I'll be alone. And of course, that's eventually what happens which reinforces the first point. Nobody loves me. No one. Who is going to love me? No one. And of course, eventually, if the person has been in that situation for long enough, they'll start to Mm -hmm. develop physical manifestations of prolonged psychological distress. And this is where your A study comes in. This is where the questionnaire comes in. 
you put somebody under psychological distress for too long the hormonal apparatus that operates the stress system now starts to poison the body and mm -hmm. soma is the latin word for body so somatoform means you know forms that are presenting from the body right mm -hmm. uh, and so you start seeing these weird symptoms beginning to appear for no reason you know sort of leaky bowel irritable bowel um chronic pain syndrome fibromyalgia you know sort of chronic headaches um, you know all these strange things coming up for no apparent reason once you've got to that that's number six and of course the first is the event itself or set of events and people look at that and they just go oh my god that <laughs> has been my life for the last 25 years mm -hmm. and i've been to every doctor and one tried to treat that one one tried to treat that one one tried to treat that one one said it was that one and then i looked at them and i say well how about we treat all of them mm -hmm. I think that and they look at me and they think well the answers are very varied but they look at me and they just go for the first time i understand what's wrong with me the first time mm -hmm. i actually understand what is actually wrong somebody has explained it in a way that i understand and i understand that you cannot just deal with this and leave the rest or deal with that and leave the others you have to deal with all of them if you want to heal completely you have to yeah this is not a a la carte menu yeah <laughs> yeah i i uh i just want to add on that um there's a power of really working on yourself. And uh, as we grow older, we tend to, because we build our reputation, our, our personality, our identity. And even though we have all those signs, usually our symptoms, those are the messengers. We neglect to attend to that because of the business of outside that we thought that could help us to get distracted however as you know as i continue my journey not only coaching but all of the spiritual and understanding how human behaviors really work or function then there's a power really when you attend to yourself when you work on your oh. inner being who you are yeah. like it can it will be scary because you would realize how much you have gone through but at the same time when you look back right now i'm speaking to myself how much i have gone through and i have how much mm. i have forgiven people and how much i am still facing some challenges in my life that beyond my control but mm. i know myself well and whenever 
I know that I catch myself in in a pain or something. It always having that space of not judging ourselves because we are putting a lot of pressure in ourselves that just because we're feeling pain, it means that we are weak. And it, it's not true. It just means that our body, our thinking, our ourself saying something that we have to attend. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's actually a beauty that you can recognize that. Because the more that you recognize that, the more that you have to attend. Because the more that you neglect or avoid that, the more that you ended up, as what Dr. Rashi said, you have this constant psychological thoughts that will end up what we call suicidal. And we don't want that. You know, I always believe that we have a beautiful life that we deserve. Yet, we have to work on that as well. Because... We are born here to create the life that we deserve. Now, don't get so attached from outside. Mm -hmm. Love yourself. Love yourself that you deserve yourself to have whatever you want in life. And Mm -hmm. by doing that is understanding what is trauma, what is causing deep inside of you that constant pain that pain has its message. It's not something mm-hmm. because of your stress at work. That's just part of that. But there's something really mm-hmm. in here that we have yet to attend. And, and, and this is part of why it's so important for me, honestly, Dr. Rashi, to talk about this trauma. Because in my circle of people, maybe mm-hmm. they're not even aware of this trauma, as I have mentioned that to you that for me I never knew that and the moment I recognized that I just realized oh my god I have that trauma (laughs) but then I am very blessed because I didn't have to go through the other pain that most of the story that you have that that's that's really suffering you know very sad to hear and to to read but there's still a hope right as long as we leave always believe there's there's a hope as long as we love ourselves as long as we believe that we deserve a love don't be afraid to seek for help yeah i mean there's two two things i like to say to that if i may the first is very often i get told ah so you're blaming the parents that's always what people do blame Mm -hmm. the parents Blame mummy, blame daddy. You know, that famous Philip Larkin poem, you know, they fuck you up, your mum and dad. They do not mean to what they do. They fill you with the faults they had and add a few more just for you, you know. <laughs> so don't, don't uh, get children. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, the, well, the last verse goes, um, <laughs> man hands on misery to man, deepens like a crystal shelf get out as quickly as you can and don't have any kids yourself (laughs) is that the one you were thinking of Um, yeah yeah, i think maybe that's not such a good way to go but i always say to them why do you think i'm blaming them um what you know is it not that i'm simply trying to understand them because Apart from the, I think it's something like 
4.5% of the, of the global population, round about 4.3% identifiably sociopathic or psychopathic, right? And mm -hmm. apart from those people, the rest of humanity, every parent on this planet does the absolute best that they can in the circumstances that they are, that, that they have, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. If you're sociopathic, psychopathic parents, whoa, bad luck, kid. <laughs> um, but that's a very, very, very small number. Um, and usually somebody intervenes because it's, it's so obvious. Um, but do you think your parents didn't do the best they could? Do I think, you know, I mean, I didn't go into it into detail, but yeah, childhood for me, for a child to, to need to completely, to need to completely disappear on an almost permanent basis. I mean, you have to be in quite a lot of pain to do that, right? Mm. Do I blame my parents? No, I don't blame them. You know, it, it's not their fault. My parents did the best that they could for me under the circumstances that they were living in at the time. You know, they, they all continue to do the best for me, um, whether I agree with it or not. Mm -hmm. And I believe that it's the same for them. But there's a difference between saying that my parents loved me and did the best they could for me and saying my parents might have made some mistakes that I'm paying a really heavy price for. You know, they didn't mean it, but mm. it happened. You know, yeah. and I'm... And that I'm now I'm now paying a very very heavy price for that, but you know I need to go and figure it out. But does it mean that you blame your parents? Does it mean it's their fault? No, it's not. They did the best they could. It's just, and that's why the great um, psychodynamic psychologist uh, Donald Winnicott he belongs to that era of uh, psychology just after Freud, you know, they were trying that lot. He coined a phrase, um, good enough mothering, because he recognized that the good mother is an anachronism. It's, it doesn't exist. Mm. All mothers make mistakes. All of them do, right? That's why he said the good enough mother. If you have good enough positive experiences with your mother versus negative ones, because there is no such thing as the perfect mother, the mother who never makes a mistake, never does anything wrong, never, you know, find me one, just find me one. You won't. And he coined the term good mothering, you know? So that tells us a great deal. That tells us uh, an awful lot. So that's the first thing I wanted to say. And the second thing I wanted to say 
was about something you were talking about. I seem to have lost my what, what were you saying just before I jumped in? You were talking about when your I was oh, you were talking about your own it? journey and yeah, yeah. Uh, you know the importance of personal self care and um, yeah. uh, how important it is for that. Um, I mean, I, I, I know the little that I know about about your story, and I'm, you know, I think it's an extraordinary for you to be have been where you are and to be to be where you are now. Uh, is I think remarkable. Given, I mean, you're a very young woman, and extremely positive, and changing the world through your podcasts and all this sort of stuff that I don't understand. <laughs> I'm not going to change the world that way. I'm going to be writing. <laughs> um, yeah, but um, it's a funny thing that those of us who are healers, we, or those of us who help others, you know, the healers, okay, you want to call them, let's just call them the healers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We tend to everybody else first and ourselves last. I'm guilty of that and I paid a very, very, very heavy price for it. But it isn't just me. You know, many of That's us cool. do that. So what you said is so important. Mm -hmm. It's it's probably one of the most important things. If you want to be good at this job, what you just said, you've got to do that. You've got to do that because if you put yourself last, you burn out. You, you know, they used to say the average lifespan for a counselor was five years, and then they're completely burnt out. You know, nobody wants to do trauma. Nobody wants to personality disorder because it's you know. I mean, listening to the stories of these Afghani women, you know, they just, no, I don't want to do that, that you, know, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> so there has to be a, there has to be a way in which you are able to, able to care for oneself. And one is able to recognize that I'm part of this milieu as well, you know, there's, your healing and there's his healing and his healing and his healing but there's there's my healing as well which is which is part of this and uh a very famous uh, very interesting man very famous canadian author called uh only only he was a young man was a priest of the church right was a young priest but when people used to come to him with problems he noticed that he didn't really know how to advise them he would just you know say hail marys and you know, mm, yeah. uh, you know that kind of thing right yeah, yeah you know. yes my son yes my son say three hail marys and you know two mm. hail josephs or whatever it is that yeah. You know, that Catholics do, but he never. But he noticed he could never really, you know, give them real solutions like 
The reason why your marriage is in this position is because you're doing this, you idiot. You know, you couldn't do that. So, <laughs> so he went off. He quit the church. He went off and studied and became a very, very high-level doctoral-level psychologist. Practiced for forty years, forty years, and at the end of his life, he. Retired, and he went back to the church, became a priest again. And when he did that, he wrote he wrote uh, the most wonderful books you'll ever read. You know, it's one of those Viktor Frankl type books, um, mm -hmm. and it's called The Wounded Healer. You know, there there is the what I particularly love in it in this book, the many things that he says, but what I particularly love is that those of us who are most grievously wounded, the most wounded amongst us, make the best healers. Make the I believe that so, because uh, we don't want other people to experience what we have experienced and therefore we do it in another way instead of a victim we yeah. we became or we becoming the warrior to protect other people and that's for yeah. analytical or logical we call it leaders <laughs> right or thought leaders yeah. and we talked about this um uh you want to add something or uh, just a very quick statement, you know, yeah. my theory that he doesn't say this, this is my theory. So I want to be very careful. Uh -huh. Only no one doesn't say okay. this. This is Rashi Joseph saying it based on yeah. what he's read in the book. Uh, people can go, he didn't say that. Uh, I think it's about pain. That's why those who are, those of us who have suffered most, eventually if we're given the chance make you know become the heaps it's because of our capacity to recognize and connect with pain like me if i walk in a, into a room and somebody is in pain i know instantly i can feel it i can mm. feel it and i'm never wrong i go up to that person you know, if the opportunity presents itself and I say to them, you are in a lot of pain, aren't you? And they look at me like, no, why? And I go, okay, sorry, I didn't, you know, didn't want to, didn't want to be, <laughs> didn't want to, you know, spoil your party or anything, but I just thought I'd say, you know, I think that you're in a tendency, and I don't mean physical pain, I mean emotional pain. There's something happening in your life that's really hurting you on the inside. Mm -hmm. But I'm sorry if I'm wrong. You know, please forgive me. I walk away. And two hours later, a person will come and find me and they'll say, you, Do you have a business card? And that's when I go, Ugh got them <laughs> find pens and bits of paper no yeah they'll two hours later they'll 
come and find me and they'll say, I'm sorry if I was rude when you first said that because you're a stranger. I don't know who you are. Mm -hmm. You just said this. And so I was a bit, you know, but I don't know how you knew this. I don't know how you know it, but you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. What what do I do? Mm. Here's a number. Just give me a call. Pick up the phone. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the, um, it's 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 pain. It's the ability to connect with and to because to be to really be uh, an exceptional therapist, I think. You have to be able to take on some of the pain that your client feels. It's very hazardous, right? And, you know, early in your career, you will make mistakes and take on too much. And then, oh, my God, you know, it goes horribly wrong. That's why we have clinical supervisors and stuff. But as you get better and more skillful at it, you know, you know, things like therapeutic dissociation and stuff. But how can I truly empathize with the girl who was starved for one and a half years, made to mm-hmm. sit and watch her siblings eat yeah. while she was starved? How am I supposed to really help her if? I am not able to feel what that nine-year-old girl will be feeling. Yeah. You know, and because she was telling me like it was, you know, like an ordinary story, you know. Mm -hmm. And she noticed that my eyes were tearing up and, and I was... And she said, are you okay? And I said, I can't believe what I'm hearing. She said, why? Why? What's wrong? She didn't didn't realize there was anything wrong in starving children and beating them, you know, and anything like that. And by taking on that pain and being able to reflect it, that was when she was able to see it in herself for the first time because her brain had become so good. Every memory you have has a thinking part and has an emotional part, right? Mm -hmm. So if I say, what did you have for breakfast this morning? You know, maybe you say I had bacon and eggs and you have the thinking part which is bacon, eggs yeah they were cooked well the sauce was nice that was okay you know nice restaurant right that's your thinking part but you also have an emotional part that goes i was really happy i was with my boyfriend or husband Mm -hmm. good company nice environment very calm that's the emotional part yeah Mm -hmm. And you need both these parts, okay, for the memory to be complete. Mm-hmm. What trauma does is that the emotional part 
can become so overwhelming. Yes. Like you know, for a woman who's raped, for example, the emotional, the emotional intensity of the rape is so overwhelming that the brain splits the two. It splits mm. off the thinking part, and it splits mm. off the uh, the emotional part. It's a, yeah. a defense mechanism that we have, and and you know. <laughs> <laughs> in that moment it it, it does it, it it allows you to function it allowed this young lady to function for 30 years and she's now a you know, c-level executive at uh barely 30 years old i mean she's incredibly successful you know yeah. able to do all of these things but you know when i think about the sessions that I had with her, to me, they, they read like a Charles Dickens novel, you know, like Oliver Twist going up to the front going, please, sir, may I have some more? That, that kind of thing is just nauseating. Um, so when that splitting occurs, we call that dissociation. That memory is dissociated, and the brain does that to protect itself because that emotional component is too overwhelming. Because it's the emotional component that allows you to remember is the key to your memory, right? If you're walking around in the jungle, in the savanna, and you see a twenty-foot tiger, and you feel, you know, frightened out of your wits. And you run like hell back to the camp and scream and tell everybody there's a 20-foot tiger, okay? Mm -hmm. I promise you, 50 years later, when you're standing, when you're sitting around the campfire and your great-grandchildren are there, you'll still be telling the story. <laughs> the reason why you're still telling the story is because of how intense that feeling was. It's a feeling that causes you to remember the story, not the thinking part, right? So that really tense feeling, you know, the fear you would have felt, that's the bit that would make you tell your great grandchildren, oh my God, you should have seen this tiger, you know, and you would tell it in detail. This is, so this is what the emotional component of our memory is for. But what happens, what happens if that emotional component is so overwhelming that it gets taken and buried? Mm -hmm. It's just there. It hasn't disappeared. It's buried, right? So it still has the capacity to affect you, but you just yeah. don't know it because from day to day, the thinking part is still there. You can still remember two plus two equals four. <laughs> you know, you can, you can, <laughs> just, just testing. The thinking part of your, <laughs> the thinking part of your memory is still working. You know, you can go to work and you can, you can go to work and be incredibly successful, uh, you know, 
not two plus two equals four successful. I mean, you know, make uh, Turner, you know, $560 million fund into a $3.3 billion fund in under five years, you know, that, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, your thinking mem memory, your thinking brain. But at some point, that bit that you split off and pushed down, mm -hmm. it hasn't disappeared. It will come back. You know, and yeah. just like in Albert Camus' uh, novel, La Peste, you know, in the last scene, the, the mayor says, don't think we've won because the rats are still in the sewer and one day they will come up again mm -hmm. into, into a free city. And it's, it's, you know, when I think of, of repressed and suppressed traumatic memories, I always think of uh, uh, Camus, uh, although a bit differently now because I noticed he didn't, uh, so, what the trauma therapist does is he slowly brings that emotional component out. So it's like you take a Coke bottle and you shake it, right? Mm -hmm. Shake it like that, it's full of fizz. If you just open the bottle, it's just going to go everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And usually that's what happens to people when the emotional component gets triggered. <laughs> they go everywhere, right? They explode or they become suicidal or they can't sleep or their brains just, you know, like are on fire. You have that explosive um, reaction from something that has been you know, like a spring that has been compressed to the utmost uh, power of its compressibility suddenly being released, yeah? Mm -hmm. But then you go and meet somebody like me and you go, no, 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 <laughs> that, that's, not a good, I, that's not a good way of doing it. Better way of doing it is we just open the cap a little bit, let a little bit out, close it back up. Next week, yeah, open slowly. a bit more. Yeah, and then slowly the memories come out. And it, that's not to say that it's painless. It's still painful. It's, it's still it painful. But it's painful in a way that the individual can assimilate and integrate. And, you know, that wonderful thing that you said about looking after yourself and knowing yourself. The great Carl Gustav Jung you know, said, if you do not make what is inside your unconscious mind conscious mm -hmm. to yourself, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. Mm -hmm. You know? So, yeah. You, That's a very... Carl Gustav, Carl Gustav Jung... Cindy Marie, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. And it's, 
You know, I w- I've been listening and listening and listening, and it's so powerful how you ended up to that message. Yeah. <laughs> how yeah. powerful the self care, and you. so we can talk on this on and on and on. It's a big subject, you know. And um, yeah. what I could suggest to people who's watching or listening, if you find this valuable, I would maybe ask you a little bit favor if you feel like you want to have another session with uh, Dr. Reshi and you find it more and more uh, valuable to discuss in depth uh, give us a comment or leave us a comment in either YouTube or or in the podcast and we will connect again and give you a really on-depth discussion about trauma and how we can help you further because obviously this is an introduction who's Dr. Reshi and about his book and again from the title itself a beginner's guide to trauma so if you don't know that you have trauma or you feel like that maybe then I would suggest that you grab a copy and see and take it from there all right and now we, we talked talk- about the self-care, Dr. Reshi, and we are almost finishing this conversation or this episode. Mm. You caught yourself as well earlier that you're mm. guilty of yourself as well that you're not looking after previously of yourself. Therefore, you also pay so high for this. Now, for for you, uh, personal, like professional set aside, I would like mm. to ask you, how do you keep yourself optimistic in a sense is there any something meditation, yoga, something that could be a valuable suggestion for other people to take part, experiment and mm. explore that could help them mm. as well? Well, I'm just waiting for the bit where you say available at fine Amazon.com bookstores worldwide. You know, I'm waiting, just waiting for you to say that bit. <laughs> oh. that, that's, that. <laughs> yes, well... Uh, in Amazon, <laughs> because I'm not sure. I mean, uh, I guess I am too assumption or assumptive about people would know where to grab it, or maybe if it's in local bookstore bookshops. This yeah. this goes back to a much earlier time when there was no Amazon, and when people <laughs> did a book tour, they would say it's people say, you know, has the book been published? And they always yes, yes, it's available. <laughs> It's available in fine bookstores, you know, yeah. everywhere, you know. So. And no worries, Dr. Reshi, in my blog, in my podcast, in my YouTube, the the information will be available where they can grab it. And um, I guess what's important now is more on sharing the, the, the value of the content of your mm. book and uh, yeah. helping them to really have that experience and feeling it's all about the feeling of what's inside so they will get more Mm. curious to get understanding about uh, the trauma so yeah going back to the question what is it something that dr reshi actually (laughs) keeps himself you know because you are getting a lot a lot of information stories that we all know could be really overwhelming so i'm really curious Mm. and I'm sure most of people watching or listening also curious, how do you keep yourself optimistic? Would there be a morning routine? Would there be a night routine? Whatever that is, you can share a one or two. Well, there's a professional and there's a personal. Okay. The 
Yeah, the professional is that it is what I believe to be a ringside seat to the greatest miracle that there is. Mm. You're sitting right by the boxing ring or whatever ring, MMA or whatever, okay? <laughs> you have a ringside seat to the most unbelievable miracles where people come in and they are so broken and you look at them and you think whoa dude <laughs> i don't know and you see them start to put the pieces of their life together you know and then that's why i love um uh every year there being a sort of new year and that because i will get emails from my ex-clients and they'll say mm -hmm. do you remember me dr eshi do you remember when i came in to see you i was thinking about how my wife had left me took the three kids i'd just been mm -hmm. fired from my job and i was deciding whether i was going to kill myself today and i thought i'm gonna go and see the psychologist and if he doesn't say anything while then I'm just going to walk into the sea and keep walking, right? That's my plan. Ten years later, this guy is doing ultra marathons. He's a triathlete champion. He's got, got two companies. He's, you know, just the transformation is, you just look at it and you go, whoa, you know. <laughs> And you get to play a part in that as well, you know. You, yeah. you, you, you're, you know, a little bit of a little bit of that is is you playing your part. So that's the professional. That's, mm -hmm. that's the bit that kind of makes me really optimistic because of the capacity of humans to surprise. You know, it's just, mm -hmm. you just never know. You look at someone and you think, no way. They're not, nah, they're not going to make it. And somehow it happens, you know. On the personal, um, well, I mean, you know, there's the, but the butterfly effect. I often thought to myself, you know, if one person, one person bought mm -hmm. this, this book, right? And that one person happened to read it and said, oh, my God. That is my cousin, John. So he wants to give it to John, but John doesn't want to read it. John's like, I don't have a problem. So John's mom picks up the book and she goes, holy crap, this is like him and like her and like her and like her. <laughs> and so she, you know, so suddenly you've got this butterfly effect happening, yeah. right? um so on a personal level i don't know if we can call that personal but yeah i mean i'm an early riser uh i love the sea you know i surf nice. uh, I if you can see my pool I, yeah um, yes, i can see the first the first thing i used to do before i did anything else was just jump straight into the pool the first thing mm -hmm. I used to do before I did anything else. But now, the first thing I do, you saw that cat that walked across the screen. Yeah. 
the first thing I do is I have to feed that kitten because, oh my God, you should hear him scream when he's hungry. <laughs> and he will scream and scream and scream and scream and scream nonstop until the food is in front of him. So it's like, okay, feed the kitten, get the kitten to stop screaming, then get in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, the, the responsibility of having the, I would say the babies, <laughs> because that's considered yeah. like a baby yeah. as well. They're seeking yeah. so much attention, actually. Well, yeah. there you go. So it's, it's fun. Get a yeah. Pool. yeah, and that, that kind of prepares you for the sea, which is a little bit colder. So mm -hmm. get up and, you know, don't wax the surfboard. And uh, if not, sometimes just show a few lengths do a little bit of i'm very i'm very lucky to live on an island where there are some i mean exceptional is not the word for it unbelievably uh gifted yoga meditation teachers you know and i've mm. learned from some of the finest outside of outside of india and thailand this is the place if you're interested in that come here this is the place for that um so whilst i'm not a, a real expert at that you know i'll do that just to kind of really open everything open myself up to whatever's coming yeah and of course most important of all is to quiet the mind the mm -hmm. mind has to be quiet yes without the quiet mind can't can't do the job so mm -hmm. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. Seemed like a bit like a bit of a weak weak answer. <laughs> no, no, please. There's no such thing as weak because every we have talked about it. Every individual practices, you know, uh, routines that works for them. So it's always an amazing to to hear what expert or thought leaders like you have to say about keeping yourself optimistic because for me it's very important you know uh, we tend to which we have already talked about it earlier to serve more and more and then we forget about ourselves but now since we acknowledge and recognize that that there's a power yeah. of looking after yourself you know quieting the mind the intentional mm. with your body what is your intention for the day and feeding the cat in your case and then jumping on the pool you know there could be something that oh yeah i know i know what dr Rish is talking about feeding the the the, the 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 cat or the kitten because i have mine as well so it's not weak answer anyway yeah. i would like to acknowledge you for this amazing conversation dr Rishi. really 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 valuable and i'm sure that this conversation is not good enough to talk in depth about your book and for other people who find it very fascinating curious more especially if they're in based in the same location as you do so tell us where can we reach dr rashi and this is the place where they can grab your book and uh yeah so <laughs> well now where can you find available at Fine, Amazon.com bookstores everywhere. <laughs> um, and sorry, if you, you want to, if you Kindle, want to read Kindle uh, format, you can, or it's just you can get it. You can you can get it in Kindle. 
or you can okay. get it in paperback. We have an audio version, but the audio version for uh -huh. the book, the fine Amazon.com stores is a highly complicated process. So what we've done is, you know, I've, uh -huh. I've recorded the, uh, the audio book myself, nice. okay. all 13 hours of it. I read, Oh wow. <laughs> You know, I'd like the read. I'd like the listeners to know that I Good. read thirteen hours. I read. <laughs> um, yes, uh, it's going to be available on our website, uh, which is uh, livingfree.today. If you key in livingfree.today, uh, you'll find you'll find us, and you can all our contact details are in there you can whatsapp us you can email us you can yeah you know, whatever and where we're else gonna... in socials where they can see some of your content or posts well there's a whole bunch of whole bunch of videos on my website uh okay. but the thing is there's so much content um, one particular podcast on my website uh -huh. and it's with a young lady called kartika mm -hmm. uh you know it's a split screen so i'm sitting on this side she's sitting on this side and that podcast is really worth watching mm -hmm. yeah that that podcast is really worth watching because she just knew the questions to ask because she's a practitioner mm -hmm. as well she's a professional yeah. as well um so i mean there's i think there's at least 10 15 videos on there you know but mm -hmm. that's the one um that i think is the is the best really mm -hmm. amazing so you know because every every conversation has different depth of conversation about trauma so there you go everyone and don't worry if um, i'm gonna put the information of where to connect where to find the website in my blog and also in my podcast so rest assured that will be provided and so that's it dr rashi um amazing conversation thank you so much for sharing all the information not only from the book but also for your experience and it's been very helpful and valuable well, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Cindy. Yeah, thank you for inviting me on your podcast. And perhaps we'll do this again. So awesome. Thank you. Absolutely. So thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Rishi. And everyone out there listening or watching, again, if you find this episode super valuable and you want to be digging more and more, so check out his website, the videos. And also don't forget to share this episode to everyone you think that will be benefiting this valuable information, the more the merrier and the more that we could help people to heal as well. So until then, I'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you, Dr. Reshi. Thank you and see you next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoy this episode, message me, tag me on socials, and I will drop you a thank you note. It does mean a lot to me. And do me a favor, please leave a review.
be nice. <laughs> On whichever platform you're listening to, the more you share this podcast with your friends or anyone you think will benefit from this, the more we'll have incredible guests and continue to bring value to keep you moving forward. Thank you and till next time.